So that video exists so I can get a drink of water, um, if you're wondering, after singing. So um, we are in the last couple of weeks of our Advent series, and if you're visiting with us today, our traditional way of doing things every Sunday is we're actually working our way through the Old Testament. We're in the book of Numbers, and for but for Advent, we've jumped out, and we're doing some kind of topical, more like biblical theology, looking at what all of Scripture says about a certain character within the story of the nativity, looking at different characters from the beginning, looking at the prophets who foretold, looking at Mary and Joseph, last week Herod and the people and their reaction to the Messiah King coming and sitting on the throne, saying to Herod basically that he was going to take the throne. The guy who sat on the throne now feeling like hostile towards the king who's coming. Today we look to ones who Though we may struggle with indifference this time of year, because we're so used to this story, they've never struggled with that. They never struggle with indifference towards the things of God. They, they live right in the presence of God and yet still are awed by God. See, God's plan of redemption is a cause of great wonder and awe. Just, just think about it for a second, okay? To think that the Creator God, perfect in holiness perfect in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that relationship, needing nothing, decided to create all things by the power of his word. In his perfect wisdom, in all of his power, puts on display his glory in creation. And at the pinnacle of his creation, to show his glory most fully, he makes mankind. He makes human beings who then in turn reject him completely. This is the beginning of the redemption story. We, we chose what looked good over the one who is good. We chose to believe the lie of the serpent over the love of our Father in heaven. The, imagine the fact that God would then put into action a plan that would save his people, redeem his people, rescue his people from themselves and all that comes with that, all of the punishment, all that we deserved in wrath from his hand, he would rescue us from that. Ultimately, demonstrating his grace, his love, starting with a, a guy named Abram who was a pagan, bringing him to know the truth of the one true God, to worship him, and then from Abraham's line to bring one who would be the savior of the world, God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, ultimately sending his son to save his people from their sins, making a brand new humanity, a people that's now from every tribe and tongue and nation, people group, all living in his holy presence for all eternity. To think for a second that God would do this by his grace, that God is continuing to do this by his love and his power, that God is ensuring that his plans are not going to fail because he is God and no one can defeat him. That should amaze us. But I wonder, how often are we amazed by it? As people, especially those who go to church every week, right? Who are regular in church. Because I find myself and I'm like, preach to people who show up. That's usually who you preach to as a preacher, right? You preach to the people who show up. And so when the people who show up, you start telling them, hey, you should. You realize some of them are, <laughs> right? But I wonder... Those who hear the good news every week. So just become like, yeah, yep, know it to be true. Is it changing your life every day? Is it the reason to wake up? 
Does it still amaze you? Do you still marvel at the fact that God would do this? It's, it's meant to capture us. Are, are you still captured by the wonder of the baby in the womb of Mary created Mary? The baby that was placed in the manger while the cattle were lowing, whatever that means, created the cattle that the savior who hung on the tree created the wood of the cross and the metal oars of the nails that the star that showed the way to his birthplace and where the toddler would be at that point was created by him Like, does that not just blow your mind? Do you think about that ever? And then to think that that same God would work in your life to bring you out of death to life, out of darkness into light. That that God who can and did all of those things actually works personally in your own life for your good. I just wonder how often are we just dumbstruck by God? Because there's one character and a multitude of characters, I would say, but all one type of character that shows up in the nativity story that is not um, that is not prone to what we are prone to, which is the getting used to it, normalizing of it. Not that big of a deal. We do this all the time. No, the angels do it all the time, and yet they are amazed by what's happening all the time. So we want to look into the character at Christmas, now of this Christmas story that we're most struck with wonder and awe at the birth of the Messiah, King Jesus. It wasn't the shepherds. It wasn't Mary and Joseph. It was the angels. The angels are the ones who are most struck with awe. So who are these angels? Daniel Darling wrote, they're not quite human, but not quite divine. And sometimes they seem to float in the background, and other times they come to the forefront announcing the good news of the birth of Jesus. See, angels are playing a pivotal role at all times, but especially we see it here in the birth of Jesus and in the redemption plan of God. They float in and out of the story, over and around the Christmas story. So I want us to look at some of the places in the Christmas story where they show up, where they step out from the background and step onto the stage so we can see, but not just so that we can go, wow, angels, they're pretty interesting. And I got to, I got to say it. So Eric and I ran into each other between services and we were talking and he just said, I got one question about angels. You already sat through first service. So to answer your question that you might have at the end of this, angels are neither obtuse, acute, or right. So just leave it at that. That was Eric. So it had to be done. So I started. That is true. So I misspelled angels multiple times in my text. So just so you know, if I say angles, you will know what happened. Okay. But uh, I told him two thirds were right and one third was obtuse. You'll get that later. Okay. Um, But think about this. How often are we struck by John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Like you read that, you say that, and you're like, yeah, learned that when I was a kid. Did you learn it? Or did you just figure out how to say it? So it's a big difference, isn't there? The angels learn it, and the angels seem to be impacted by it. 
But before we jump into how they show up and learn, how we can learn from them, because I think if I were to title today's sermon, it would be Lessons I Learned from an Angel, okay? And I know that sounds like a Hallmark movie, but just leave it at that, okay? Uh, let, me, let me just make sure you understand. There are, so last week we dealt with the Magi, we called them the kings, and we, they're not, and we dealt with all the misconceptions, we dealt with the preconceived notions of them and how the rumors and the legends are really built in our popular culture by songs and by movies more than they are by scripture. Well, if that's true of the Magi, imagine what it is like for angels. Because I'm going to give you a couple. You ready? The angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other. Anybody remember that one? Right? How about if you just walk over and hit those chimes over there? Anybody else thinking that an angel just got their wings? <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, these, are the, these are the things that popular culture really causes us to base things on when it comes to angels. But I want to I want to just deal with two of them. So really simply, before we jump into where the Bible actually talks about the angels in the story. The first is this. Angels are not cute and cuddly. They are not cute and cuddly. They are not precious moments characters. Right? They are not cute and cuddly. In Scripture, when they show up, they are awful and mighty. The first words out of their mouths most times are what? Fear not. Do not fear. Why do you have to say that if you're a cute, cuddly angel in a diaper? Right? Pudgy cheek angel showing up. Don't be afraid of me. I wasn't. Right? No, they're fearful. They're, people fall on their faces as if dead more often than not when they run into an angel. We also learn from Scripture that they can be evil and treacherous. That a third of the angels fell from heaven following Satan and his rebellion against God. And in fact, in Second Peter chapter 2, God punishes those who rebel against him. The angels that rebelled against God are punished. Second Peter 2, 4 says, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Sounds awful. What we learn is that Satan leading these angels in rebellion also led them to their doom. That they're under judgment, roaming the earth under the chains of God's judgment, waiting for their final demise. Jude 1.6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, they were given a job to do, and they left that job. They rebelled against that job, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So angels are awful and mighty, and they can be evil and treacherous. They can take the form of humanity, or they can be giant balls of light reflecting the glory of God. Uh, you think about the messengers who came to Abram at his tent and told them that Sarah was going to have a son. They seemed like normal guys, right? But then you think about the angel sitting on top of the rolled away stone at the tomb, Jesus' resurrection. They knew it was an angel. Right? You think about other times where angels show up and like entire armies are stopped dead in their tracks. So angels can take forms, but at no point are we, are we seeing angels as cute, cuddly, precious moments characters. Okay? The second is this. Angels are not dead humans. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I love you, but your grandmother did not become an angel. Neither did mine. Okay, um, they angels are created beings. They are different from humanity. 
which means that humans do not become angels. Every time a bell rings, a former human, now an angel, does. see, it doesn't work. It's kind of ridiculous, but it's popular culture that has taught us this. What we do learn about angels is that they were created. So they are not little gods. They're created by God. Nehemiah 9, 6 says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. So God made all the host of heavens. The earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. God made the angels. Colossians 1, 6 in the New Testament tells us this, For by him all things were created. And what does he mean by all things? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All the invisible thrones and dominions and powers, all the, all the invisible creatures, God made them as well. They were created. They're not little gods. They, they have existed. Angels have existed before the earth. I don't think we think about that often. But angels have been around longer than the earth. They were actually present at creation. That's what Job 38 says when Job and his friends and Job, you know, all of this, all this horror befell Job and his friends are telling him how bad he is and what he should have done differently. And and he's complaining to God. And when he complains to God, he's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And God's response is, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? In other words, who do you think you are? Tell me if you have understanding. (laughs) Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Look at verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What's God saying there? He's saying, when I spoke the world into being and laid its foundations and set it in its order and made it by my will... The angels were there cheering me on, shouting for joy. You see, what we learn is that heaven doesn't gain angels when humans die. Humans remain humans and angels remain humans or remain angels. Angels remain angels. They, they don't bear the image of God like we do. They don't have the spirit of God breathed into them like humanity does Humanity alone has the imprint of God's nature and image on us. What angels have in glory is not imbued to them in their creative nature. It's a reflected glory. So let me, let me put it this way. When angels show up and there's a glory of God shown round about them and they were sore afraid. That moment, when an angel shows up and somebody says they fell on their face as dead because of the glory that they saw, that's a reflected glory. It's not a glory that an angel has. Here's another way of putting it. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, remember? And he was in the presence of God and he came down and he had to cover his face with a veil because the people couldn't bear to look at it because of the glory of God on his face. That's the angels. And they dwell in the presence of God all the time. And so when they show up, the glory of God comes with them. Okay, but it's a reflected glory. It's not the same as the image of God being imprinted in our very nature. But the biggest thing you need to understand about these guys, these angels, is they don't receive the grace of God like we do. See, there are people who have said, well, what if we just shared the gospel with Satan? Wouldn't that make everything better? Anybody ever thought that? What if Satan just got saved? Well, that, 
Angels can't get saved. Satan being an angel, he can't get saved. No, salvation is something that's given to humanity, made to worship God in the image of God. But angels relate to God differently than we do. When a third of the angels followed Satan in his sin, there wasn't grace and mercy for them. There was judgment. That was it. Because they've been created for a purpose, a different relationship with God, and they were cast out of his dwelling place in heaven. Angels currently hold a place of honor and glory above humanity. They have more glory than we do. Right? We're, we're told in Scripture that we are made a little lower than the angels. Even Hebrews says that Jesus, when he took on flesh, he took less glory. Right? He became, a, for a little while, a little lower than the angels in his glory. And, but with the resurrection of Jesus, with the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, with Jesus sitting on the throne and us now ruling and reigning with him when we get to heaven, one day we are going to be lifted higher than the angels. And scripture tells us that we will even judge angels. So I want you to begin to think about this. Our relationship to God is very different than the angels' relationship to God. And that's where I think we can learn from them. I'm going to get to that in just a second. See, angels don't have immortal souls in need of salvation. Angels have been a part of God's redemptive plan from the beginning. They've known the plan of God. They've just been waiting to see how it was going to work itself out, how God was going to do it. But they are not recipients of his salvation in Jesus Christ. And so with these distinctions in place, that angels are working behind the scenes, sometimes stepping onto the stage to relate to humanity, to relay the good news of God, to preserve the plans of God. Today, I want us to see how, how angels work through the nativity story and see how we now reflect their work in the world today. So the first thing I want you to see about angels in the nativity story, angels serve as messengers of God's promises and purposes. They are heralds of good news. They're heralds of the gospel. Whether it's judgment or joy, angels often appear on the scene to make clear what the will of God is. They're speaking for God. They're, God sent a message from his throne room to you. I'm the angel coming to tell you. In fact, that's what their name means. Angel means messenger. So this is a primary function of angels. When they show up, they're telling the good news of God. And no matter what they say coming from the throne room of God, for the believer, it's good news. Let me put it this way. They're telling of the birth of Jesus. Anybody? Good news, right? right? If they're telling of the judgment that's coming on all sin in the world. Good news? Bad news? Good news for us, right? Because it was already placed on Jesus. Bad news for everybody else. But when they come, for God's people, they're proclaiming good news because they're proclaiming the, the hidden things of the redemption plan of God. They're making them known. Everything from Abraham and Sarah having a miracle child. The angels were involved in proclaiming that. To God's battle plan for the people of Israel. To prophecies. To the revelation of the birth of Jesus. Angels enter from the unseen to the seen to bring word from the Lord. So look at Matthew 1. If you turn over to Matthew 1, you'll see this. This is how it works itself out in the nativity story. We're going to spend some time in Matthew and in Luke and in Revelation. Just want you to see how angels pop in, pop out, do their job, and what their job is. And the first thing is this. Matthew 1, an angel brings the word of God's promise kept through Mary to Joseph in his moment of fear. Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He's afraid, so an angel shows up in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel comes as a messenger in a time of fear in order to make sure God's will is being known to Joseph. And it would take an angel here, wouldn't it? Hey, your betrothed is pregnant, not your baby. Let me tell you how this works. Because if his buddy John from down the street comes in, and says, hey, you remember that whole a virgin shall conceive and give birth and you'll call his name Emmanuel? I think that's what's happening here. He's like, you're a moron. When an angel shows up speaking with the glory of God and the truth of God, he believes and he follows. This is Matthew 1. In Luke 1, the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, an old priest with a barren wife who had been praying for God to bring him a son. And here's an angel showing up when Zechariah goes into the very presence of God, already afraid, already afraid because he's going in, as we've read in the Old Testament already, he's going in, if I washed wrong, if I didn't make the right sacrifices, if I prayed wrong, if I, right? He's going in, if God shows up, I'm in real trouble here. And he goes into the presence of God, and this is what happens. Luke chapter 1, verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. If ever there was a moment to fall on your faces if dead. Right? Because he's assuming he's undone at this point. He's assuming this is the end. Zechariah was troubled when he's... I think that's one of the biggest understatements in Scripture ever. (laughs) Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Man, what a message from God. We have access as believers to the throne of grace. Here's an angel showing up to Zechariah going, God heard you. I know. I was there. Think about that for a second. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. In Luke 1, the angel goes on to to talk to Mary to announce her pregnancy to her, the favor of the Lord upon her. And of course, the one we all know, the one the kids just sang about, right? Luke chapter 2, the most famous of angelic messages was delivered on a hillside outside Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2 verse 9 says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This scene is insane, isn't it? It's amazing. It should astound us. It should blow our minds. But I think, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, I think when we picture this scene, we picture more what we just saw from the kids than what really happened. right? So when you read this story, you're like, oh yeah, those shepherds, they were dirty, they were smelly, the sheep. right? And then angel shows up, and one angel shows up and says, hey guys. And then when he's done, he turns around and directs the choir of ten other angels, right? And glory to God in the highest. And we move on because we've got to get to the manger. 
I want, I want you to stop here for just a little while on this hillside and realize what the angels were up to and how important the angels are to this story. I think we miss how marvelous and glorious that night must have been. The shepherds were terrified when one angel showed up. Did you catch that? One angel shows up with the glory of God, reflecting the very presence of God among them. And when the angel appeared, bringing with him the manifest glory of God straight from the throne room of heaven, they were sore afraid. Like it hurt to be afraid. That's what I've always thought, right? Sore afraid. That must mean what? And I know what that feels like. You know what that feels like? They think it's over for them. Imagine if one angel gets them that afraid, what happens next? When what it says is a multitude of angels show up. And the word multitude means this, uncountable numbers. Not 50, not 500, not 5,000, not 50,000. We're going through numbers when we're not doing an Advent series, and they did a lot of counting. And they were able to count all the people. They can't count the number of angels. That's how big a choir this is. Uncountable numbers. Kent Hughes put it this way, and I think he's right. This is what he said. He said, and when I read this this week, I went, yep. I mean, I read it, and immediately I just went, yep, that's exactly it. He says, I think every one of God's angels was there. Because where else are they going to be? This is the most important and exciting thing that's ever happened in the entire universe. You are a messenger. I'm in. I'm in. Who wants to go take this message? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Every angel that God has ever made shows up to tell these guys, hey, the Messiah is here. All that waiting is over. And, And this multitude, this uncountable number would be stretched from horizon to horizon. It's not like a little ball of light that shows and floats around in the sky. From horizon to horizon, blocking out constellations. Like reality, directions, don't make any sense right now because of what's happening right now. And just think about the sound that would come from that. Just think about the noise. Because what Job says is that creation, the angels shouted for joy. And now, the most joyous thing that's ever happened, great joy that will be for all people, how loud do you think they were then? When every angel is with all of their strength proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God is making peace with mankind and every angel wants the message to get out. This is what we were created for. This is why God made us, so that those people will know what God has done. Let's tell them. You see what you might learn from them? See, angels serve as messengers of the plan of redemption. They were there at creation. They protected the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life after mankind and all creation fell under sin and death. They proclaimed good news to the early fathers of Israel through the prophets. They proclaimed good news. They proclaimed judgment on Israel and her enemies and they broke through with good news to shepherds broke through with good news to a young virgin mother her betrothed and an old man and his barren wife all to give the good news of God's redemption plan 
Angels proclaim good news. They are messengers of good news. But that's not all they do. They don't just proclaim the redemptive plan. They actually minister to accomplish the redemptive plan. Angels are ministers of God's redemption plan. They work, they serve, they strive, they fight, they protect, they strengthen. They're sent on a mission from the throne of God to ensure that God's plan gets fulfilled. Another way of looking at it would be this. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God will accomplish his will. His plan is never going to be thwarted. So he uses every tool in his tool belt to accomplish his plans. And one of those tools? Angels. And he sends them out to accomplish his plans and his purposes, to protect his redemption plan. In most cases, angels are agents of God's providence, working out his plan for his people. So think back on the Old Testament and remember how God used angels to complete or to protect his redemption plan. They, they were guardians. Angels were guardians of God's plans and his people, protecting the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Once Adam and Eve were evicted, they, they ministered to Elijah in the wilderness when he fled in fear, making sure he had everything he needed so that the word of God could be brought to the people. Angels minister as deliverers of God's people. It was angels who delivered Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. It was angels who showed up with the bad news that would then lead to deliverance. It's an angel who delivered uh, it's an angel who delivered Isaac from Abraham's sacrifice. Remember when God said, take your son up onto the mountain and sacrifice him? It was an angel who showed up and said, stop. Take the ram. Don't harm the boy. Which preserved the line of Abraham all the way to Jesus. This is what God does through his angels, ministering as deliverers of God's people. They, they minister as warriors against God's enemies. They fight on behalf of Israel in 2 Kings against Assyria. In fact, the angels themselves, it says they killed, the angels killed 185,000 Assyrians. The angels fighting on behalf of God's people. We read in Daniel of the archangel Michael coming to the prophet and saying, hey, I was off contending with another angel, with one of Satan's angels, with another powerful being. They're warriors on behalf of God's people. And here in the nativity story, they continue in that same way, don't they? They minister to protect the plans of God. The most obvious one we have is when Herod then decides he's going to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And it's an angel who comes to Joseph and says in Matthew chapter 2, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Isn't it good news that God uses every available option to protect his plans and his people? That God isn't just locked into one idea like of, well, if they don't do it. No, he's constant. He's got every tool and he uses them all so that you and I can hear good news and so that you and I can be ministered to as the people of God and his plans will never fail. They've played a major role. Angels have played a major role in protecting and preserving God's redemption plan sent by God by his sovereign will to accomplish his purposes. Angels have been ministering spirits to the people of God. They've even been guardians of Jesus himself when he was being tempted in the wilderness. After his temptation, they, they were the ones who ministered to him. 
God's plan is secure because God is all-powerful and sovereign. And because he's all-powerful and sovereign, he uses angels as part of his plan. They're agents of making it happen. Right? Get her done. That's what an angel does. When you think of an angel, think, no, they have a job to do and they're going to get it done. But here's the thing about them. While they're getting it done, they don't get to experience the grace and the mercy and the love that's found in Jesus Christ in his redemption on the cross. They're doing it because they were made to do it. Because they were created that way. They have a role to play in response to the grand narrative of God's holiness, his grace, his mercy and love found in the person of Jesus, but they don't get the benefits. They don't get the forgiveness. They don't get the grace. They don't get the love, the mercy like we do. But turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 1 says it this way. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So concerning the salvation that you have, the prophets, even though they were before Jesus, they looked into all of the things of God to try to figure out who it was, when it was, and how it was that God was going to work salvation for his people. They were looking at the plans of God, trying to determine how it was all going to work out. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, that they weren't getting the benefit here, but they were serving you, the people who would come to believe, the people after Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And look at this last phrase that I think we throw away sometimes. Things into which angels long to look. What does that mean? The prophets did it all, and they got some benefit because that was their job, but they didn't get all the benefit you do now that you have the glory of Christ revealed to you in the gospel. And the angels, man, they can't, they can't wait to look into what God's doing next and how his glory is being revealed in Christ next and how God's redeeming his people they marvel at God's redemptive plan. That's what they do. So they're messengers of the redemption plan, they're ministers of the redemption plan, and they marvel at God's redemption plan. But they marvel as outsiders, as observers, not as recipients of that grace. They long to look into the grand redemptive story, amazed at the glory of God revealed in His grace amazed at God's mercy and love, amazed at the working out of his salvation, amazed at how he pours out his love on his people through Jesus. They rejoice in the salvation of human beings. They don't experience salvation themselves, but they rejoice in the salvation of human beings. They worship God because of the salvation that they themselves do not experience. Jesus tells two parables, one of the, the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep to go find the one. You remember that story, right? And the next parable is of a woman looking for a coin. And at the end of each of those parables, he talks about the angels and their rejoicing. At the end of the second one, he says this in Luke chapter 15. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These are the beings who know the whole story who have seen the whole redemptive plan, and when one sinner repents and believes in Christ, 
they start rejoicing. See, they don't have a problem with, yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, gotten used to that. Yeah, yep, knew that. No big deal. They don't have a problem with that. They rejoice every time one sinner repents. Angels are watching God's plan unfurl, and when salvation becomes real in one person's life, they rejoice. They sing. They celebrate. They worship. So imagine what happens when they get to see the culmination of all of God's plans. When people from every tribe and tongue and nation are now saved, who repent and believe. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. In chapter 4, the angels are leading the multitudes in worship of God as the creator. And then in chapter 5, they say this. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people, not angels, people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Just like on that hillside outside Bethlehem, on the night of Jesus' birth, myriads, thousands upon thousands, marveling at the glory of God revealed in Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who purchased people for God, the one who deserves all the worship. And then in chapter 7 of Revelation, the full impact of this salvation plan comes into light when people from every tribe and tongue and nation are now around the throne. They they talked about it before. Now it happens in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Does that sound familiar? That's the angels, like the angels on the hillside. Now we have people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. There are a multitude that no one can number, people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a scene! Like, I think this is another one of those that we might run by too quickly. We've read so often that we're like, yeah, heaven's going to be great. Whoa! Imagine the sound. Imagine the glory of God here. Imagine what's happening when people from every tribe and tongue and nation. This is why we give. This is why we pray. This is why we send missionaries. Because there's a vision of what happens in the end. And God deserves this, doesn't he? He deserves for people to worship him like this. A multitude that no one could number. The fullness of salvation revealed. The full nature of Jesus' purchase at the cross revealed. And look at the response of the angels. These are the people singing. Now the angels jump in in verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. They marveled. And this is what they said. Amen. When the people who were redeemed by Jesus finally worshipped him as he deserved, the angel said, finally, you get it. Because that's what amen means. Let it be so. Basically, the angels are saying, finally, you all get what Jesus did for you. We've known it. We've watched it. We don't even benefit from it. And you're finally on your faces worshipping him like he deserves. Finally. Finally. 
Yes, that's who Jesus is. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let it be so that he deserves that sort of worship. See, angels are worship leaders in heaven as they marvel at what God has done for his glory. But think about it for just a second. They're the worship leaders, but they've never experienced the life-giving grace and mercy of Jesus. The worship leaders of heaven have never known the forgiving mercy of God found in Christ. They watched the people of God rebel. They watched God forgive and redeem and rescue. He sent the angels out to fight battles for a rebellious people who have received grace upon grace, yet keep throwing it back in God's face. They watched the king of all kings put on flesh and come down out of the glories of the throne room of heaven into the womb of a poor young woman in a nowhere town. And they warned and protected and went on journeys from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt to Galilee. They ministered to Jesus in the wilderness. And all the time they watched the very people that he came to save reject him and refuse to receive him. They kept marveling at his grace. (laughs) They watched him on the cross. His people spat on him and rejected him. The people that he came to save. And I'm sure they were there just to send us. Send us. Send us now. These people don't deserve it. Just send us now. We'll rescue him. Bring him home. And they marveled at his grace when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How could they not know? We told them. They marveled at his glorious goodness. And so when the word of God, the very creator of the universe, the glory of God revealed became flesh. It was born in the town of Bethlehem to bring peace between God and man, to end the war between man and God, they all showed up as messengers, as ministers, but to marvel and to rejoice. That's what they said in Luke 2.14, isn't it? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. As the band comes up to close us out in singing, I just want to close with this thought. What do we do with all this knowledge about angels, right? It's one thing for us to sit here and hear it all and maybe even be stirred emotionally and to realize that there's good that comes from all of this. But what do we do with it? Do we get rid of all our precious moments figurines? I mean, that's option one. Um, No, I, I think there's a simple reality that we have to come to terms with. And it really is much like the indifference of the people of Israel that we talked about last week. The danger of that indifference. I think what we need to come to terms with is this. We can be the people who are constantly looking into the things of God and miss all that we've experienced from God. That we can try to know all the knowledge and never be the people who rejoice in what he's done. So I just want to give you this thought. We now need to take the angels as an example of how we need to respond to God's redemptive plan found in Christ Jesus. If angels who get no benefit from this redemption plan receive no grace or mercy from this, 
if they are faithful to marvel and to worship, if they're shouting for joy, if they're lifting their voices to sing, what should our singing sound like? Because we have received all the benefits. Think about it for just a second. If angels sing of God's grace and mercy and never experience God's grace and mercy, what should the singing of the people who have received grace and mercy sound like? If angels who get no benefit except they were made to minister to the redemptive plan, if they, if they are faithful to do that and they do it in a way that honors God, how could we ever sit by and watch other people minister to what God has called us to and not join in? How can we not be ambassadors of Christ as he calls us to be? How can we leave that to others and not be the ones who are faithful to serve? How can we not be messengers? If angels who can only long to look into the gospel truth, who can only marvel but not partake, if they faithfully and passionately serve as emissaries of God, messengers of Jesus to the world, how much more should we? Those who have now been brought to peace with God, as those who have received his grace, how much more must we be ambassadors of Jesus, messengers of Jesus, giving, praying, proclaiming peace with God through Jesus Christ, proclaiming to the world be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ? So I'll just ask you the question. What's keeping you today from marveling, from ministering, from being a messenger of God's redemption plan? It can't be that you haven't gotten any benefits from it. Because even the angels don't get benefits and they do it. Have you missed the glory? Have you missed the wonder? Do you need to be brought low so that he can be lifted high? Reminding yourself just how glorious the grace of Christ is and how it's been shown to you. Father, I pray that as we sing now, even with joy, with gusto, with passion, that we would join our voices with those who are around your throne right now, with the angelic host who are proclaiming how great Jesus is. Make us faithful to that. May our lives reflect the truth of what we say we believe. All for your redemptive plan. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand together and sing. Hark the herald, angels sing.